You're listening to Splendid Chaps. Welcome back to our spin-off mini-series. In part three, we put on our blazers and get sent to detention. It's time to talk about class. The first part of this episode was recorded live at the Bella Union at Trades Hall in Melbourne on the 12th of February, 2017. Your hosts, Ben McKenzie, John Richards and myself, Petra Elliott, were joined by George Ivanoff and Dr. Joymi Baker. Class, 2016 to... I don't know. The sixth formers of Coal Hill Academy must navigate a life of friends, parents, school, sex, sorrow, and possibly the end of existence. Spin-off elements include the Coal Hill School setting and a cameo from the 12th Doctor. At time of recording, one series. Benjamin, you're dressed for Coal Hill Academy? (laughs) Yeah, I am, yeah. (laughs) What's your thoughts on class? I, I love class. I really love it. And I did not expect to. I, I really didn't know what to expect from this show. It's set in a high school. The main characters are high school, you know, students. I didn't know what kind of tone it was going to have. As it turned out, I, I liked to, I wrote a, like a summary. I, it, for me, class is kind of blood, sex and consequences. That's what it's about. <laughs> and I love that. Um, and one of my favourite things is the third thing, the consequences, because it really feels weighty. Everything that happens to the characters really feels like it, it marks them, it has an effect on their lives. You know, in the first episode, um, someone is horribly murdered, like Ram's girlfriend is horribly murdered in the attack by the Shadowkin. And normally in most shows, like, they might mention that one other time. But that becomes a major part of his character, that he's essentially suffering from post-traumatic stress, which makes perfect sense because he's just seen someone horribly murdered in front of him and they deal with it on that level. They don't just sort of brush it under the carpet or forget that it happened. And there's so many instances in the show, I feel, where that kind of thing happens and you find out more about the characters and they progress and they change in ways that felt to me very believable on which I thought would be so great for, you know, I work talking to teenagers about the things they have to deal with around that age and around that time in their lives. And I just watched class going, this, is, this feels real. Like, this feels like the kind of stuff that you know, sometimes kids tell me about that they worry about that happens to them. I mean, obviously not the aliens and the, <laughs> you know, the invasions of the world, but, but the, the kind of personal repercussions. Because it's, I think it's a little bit like um, Buffy in the way that you feel like the monsters act in some ways as metaphors for the things that we all encounter in our real lives. But I think the tone is very different to Buffy. It feels a bit more adult and a bit more nuanced in some ways. I just want to leap in there because it's one thing I keep wondering about because I'm clearly not the target audience for this show. Like, it's probably of the, of the three, the only one I kind of actively felt I was not the target audience. Because the character, and in my mind, it's probably the only character I really liked is Quill. Quill is also the only character who would never watch class. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the whole thing. She is a character who would not in a million years watch the TV show <laughs> I am currently hating. And... I, and I thought that was really curious. And I kind of always wondered whether, whether uh, you know, the actual audience aimed at was, was linking to it. I mean, uh, my partner and I realised we got halfway through the season and could not remember a single character's name, which mm. is really odd, apart from Quill. And we had given them all nicknames to remember them, including <laughs> Wet Girl, Wet Prince and Other Gay. Uh, and by the standard of class, Other Gay is both Polish, I think, and gay, which is two things, making him a well-rounded character. <laughs> 
So I kind of wondered if that was a thing where, as a teen audience, maybe they go, no, no, we, we are totally getting this old man. Stop, wa <laughs> stop waving his stick at us and telling us to get off your lawn. So, you know, I, and that's, I don't know. You, you have a child. <laughs> yes, I'm now representative of all parents. All parents. <laughs> George can assist you, it's fine. Uh, my kids aren't quite old enough to be watching class, but um, it will be interesting to see the reactions to it, because I, I wanted to like class, but I did not. And I think the comparison to Buffy is interesting, because I loved Buffy, and I felt this was kind of Buffy light. That, and I know it was trying to do something slightly different, but I, yeah, I didn't connect. And maybe it is, I'm just too middle-aged. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. But, I mean, it's interesting, um, going back to Sarah Jane adventures, there's one point where she says, oh, when you're younger, you imagine being grown up means you know all the answers, you know what you want, um, you know who you are, you've got it together, and then you grow up and you find out you never know what you want and you never have it all together. Um, and... T uh, teen blogger Tevi Gavinson talks about that the reason why adults can watch a teen show is that the stuff that starts to happen to you as a teen is the stuff that will keep happening to you <laughs> all your adult lives. It's not actually teen stuff, it is just life stuff yeah. that will keep on happening. So even if the characters are younger, adults will still watch a good teen show because it's still happening. It's just happening at work instead of at school, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, but it's still the same old rubbish, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's anything reason why an adult should not be able to enjoy a teen show. Um, it just didn't happen with me for this one. But yes, we need. Uh, have we got any representative teens in the audience? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, okay, oh, all right. Yeah. What's, what's your thought on class? Did you... Identify? So, so just for the podcast, we're going to our, our beautiful audience member, who we've never met before, <laughs> has, has said that she was the absolute perfect teen audience, 16 to 18 year old girl, but did not connect. It was, did you not connect to the characters? All the parents were so messed up, you said. Parents yeah. are. Yeah. Speaking as a parent. Yes, we're, we're, we're all terrible messes and we have no idea what we're doing. We certainly just pretend. We make it up as we go along. Do. It's we my do. experience of having parents, certainly. Um. I am listening to what Jomi has been saying as well. I got a real Roswell kind of vibe. And, you know, particularly the themes in Roswell was like, well, you know, aliens and this royal dilemma of, of um, you know, doing what's right for your people as well. Like, and that to me, I couldn't get away from that similarity. And I actually struggled with Quill to begin oh, with. I really did. I was like, you know, she was just so abrasive. And, you know, by the end of the pilot episode, she was... You understood that, but I just thought it was a real confronting kind of introduction to a character for me when you, you're trying to, like, I don't know, get invested in these people's lives. And you the, know. The, the curious thing is that I think Quill, too, and we're not going to mention other shows, but if we did, is <laughs> an awful lot like the lead in another major science fiction show played by Peter Capaldi, who happens to be one of my favourite people to play that lead. And so it, it's a very similar character, and, mm. and other people have had that same reaction of... Mm. And that's the thing, maybe that harshness. Like, if they spun Quill off into her own show, Ooh, I would... She does get her own episode. Yeah. And that is my favourite awesome. episode. I think the Quill episode is incredibly yeah. strong. See, I, yeah, I like it, but part of the reason I like it is it's great, but also I really like the episode where she's not there. Like, the episode where they're all stuck. It's a bottle yeah. episode. They're all stuck in detention, which is also a classic of high school stuff, right? Um, 
But and while there's like a supernatural alien reason for the tensions to escalate, for them all to be narky with each other, at the same time, it's really just bringing to a head stuff that they've already developed in those characters. And I was just like, this episode is like gold pouring over me. I love this show. And I just believed every argument that they had and I really loved that these characters and these actors could really carry the show. I don't know. But also I like the Quill episode, which was just they have some wacky sci-fi well, fantasy the, adventures. The idea is on that Quill episode, the idea that you can travel through heavens. Which yeah. is what I just I think that was, that was pretty good. It was something I hadn't seen before. I felt that was something quite new and I was quite moved by. Um, have we got your thoughts yet? Are we the on um, class? I really liked it. I, I loved it. I thought... Um, as a show in its own right, it worked really well. Something I'll talk about in the second half is I think it was hampered by being part of Doctor Who. Um, but I really liked the characters. I thought the characters worked really well. I loved the whole consequences thing, as, mm. as Ben mentioned. Um, and I also liked the portrayal of the parents in the screwed up parents and all. I, <laughs> I liked that aspect of it. I liked the fact that the parents were actually an integral part of the whole story, the fact that they weren't... Um, you know, they might try to keep things from them, but eventually the parents, you know, do find out and, and there are consequences to the parents finding out. I must say, I, I, there's one thing that I was a bit worried about the show is I was like, is, is everyone going to die? Like, everyone yeah. who's not one of the main characters going to die? Because it feels like that is the way that it's heading. It's, there's an awful lot of death is what I'm saying. Yeah. And not all the parents were screwed up either. I mean, Soccer Dude's dad... <laughs> so yeah, he was great. That's how he's His credited. name is Ram. Okay, they have names. <laughs> Actually, no, no. I, I, I have this... Soccer dude is what we called him too, yeah. so I think that's his name. I have a flaky memory, okay? <laughs> I can remember certain things. Like, I can say Rapsicorico but for some reason I cannot remember ordinary people's names, okay? I can name all the characters in class without referring to my notes. <laughs> Well done. Bully for you. Can I just throw in the two? One thing we did mention, I think class looks amazing. I think uh, yes, it's, yes. it's so... Yes, production values are Yes, point. it's so yeah. glossy as a production. Mm. Um, and I agree too, the consequences thing really hit me. As a, a, the best thing about the show was the fact that Ram was still upset that his girlfriend was dead three episodes later, yeah. which is... As you would be. As you would be. And it doesn't occur to you that's really weird on a TV show, going, yeah. oh, she well, died weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah. like I mean, in you, Doctor you've Who. You've washed the blood off by now. <laughs> Unlike Doctor Who, where uh, Rory and Amy just seem to forget that they ever had a child rather quickly. <laughs> well, you know, you have a baby, she turns into a middle-aged woman, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing too, which, which struck me watching it, actually, I just want to share one thing though. Someone at work mentioned this the other day, they said, uh, oh, we're watching with our kids and, and we hadn't realised quite how overt it was going to be and it was a, yeah, it was a bit full on. I went, oh yeah, the gore's a bit much. I went, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the gore. <laughs> and it turned out they were talking about the gay sex scene. Oh. And I went, hang on, the episode before that, a guy got turned inside out. Yeah. You're fine with that. <laughs> um, but the thing I was going to ask about what does it tell us about the time it was made in, I thought it was interesting to note that there's a, a theme, I don't know if it's deliberate or accidental, of the villains aren't necessarily who you think the villains are, and sometimes the villains are who you think they are, but for reasons you do not understand. And I thought that was quite interesting that there's a theme going through there that the bad guy is often not the one you think it is, which seemed very in keeping with now somehow. And, the, the, and also the information w is not necessarily coming through that is very important. Yes. Are you working those things out? Yes, yes. If you're getting fake news and alternative facts, you're not going to work out That's who right. the villain is. <laughs> there is. There is a moral ambiguity to it, which I think reflects modern times, mm -hmm. and I like that. The... the 
the relationship between um, Quill and Prince Dude. Sorry, can't remember his name. <laughs> Charlie, his name's Charlie. Uh, Wet Prince. His name is Wet Prince. Okay. <laughs> I, the, I, the I, Wet I Prince actually... of Bel Air? What are you talking about? <laughs> that, that's the spin-off. For, for those of you into crappy American old sci-fi shows, you know, when he when they his storyline showed up, the immediate thing I thought was the powers of Matthew Starr. <laughs> I'm That's the only person cut. in the room who knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Crap show, but I loved it. Yeah. So, um, Ben, I'm going to ask you, does it work? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I, I think it really does work. I, don't, I, I, I mean, there's, there's a couple of episodes that are maybe not as, as interesting as, as the others, but I think there's a lot of really great ideas. There's a lot of great villains and monsters... Um, I can't. I think I am going to agree with George's point that he's going to make in the second half. But on its own, I think classes is a great show. I'm really into it. Joy, me? Does it work? It didn't work for me, but I'm not the demographic. So, as you mentioned earlier, it's quite possible. I mean, be, I would actually genuinely be interesting. We have a sample of one teen in the audience. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think scientifically, that's not representative. No, that's enough. We've had one. <laughs> Apparently, the target is. audience is 38-year-old straight white dudes. Well, I <laughs> and I'm just going to make that Scooby-Doo noise again because, again, I don't know. It's, like, it's just. I, I'm curious to know whether there will be a second series. At this, at this time of recording, we haven't seen any indication either way, really. I, th- I thought I did hear that they were going to do it. I really hope so, because if you haven't seen it, I won't... Uh, we probably will end up spoiling it, but right now I won't, in case you're going to stop halfway through the podcast. But <laughs> um, but they do reveal some stuff at the end, like they build up to, there's more going on than you know. Mm. Here's a hint at what's going on. And for the next season, oh, God, maybe we won't get one. Um, but, <laughs> but I don't think they squandered that. I think it was good that they built up to that and had other stuff going on during the first yeah, season. Yeah, and maybe that's a conversation for later because I think George just agrees with it, but I actually did find the ending piqued my interest. So okay. I would actually watch a second season just mm-hmm. to see where that went. But Oh, mm. see, no, I actually have a different opinion on the ending. Yeah. Oh, we'll Ooh, save that, but it's... Second half. Okay. It is so wrapped up in my whole argument of <laughs> Doctor Who and everything, so, so we, we, we have... shall wait. Dry as we might, as Doctor Who nerds, it's impossible to think about these spin-offs without reference to the parent program. Can a spin-off like Class stand on its own? To find out, Ben sought out a very special podcast-only guest... A writer, agitator, feminist and dreamboat gentleman who's written all over the place, including The Guardian, Overland, Kill Your Darlings and Vice, and recently illustrated a satirical book called No to Feminism by Beck Shaw. They've seen every episode of Gilmore Girls and Scrubs, but haven't watched Doctor Who since they were six. It's Fury. Hello, Fury. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to have you on Splendid Chaps. Nice to be here. And you've not seen Doctor Who for some time. No, I can't even remember watching it. It was that long ago. And my, my brother insists that we watched the 1960s version when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we would watch it like on the Saturdays or Sundays or whatever. So it probably five or six is when I last watched Doctor Who. But this is interesting to me because I we, when we had the panel, the live panel, everyone there was a big Doctor Who fan. So... Mm. They'd all seen lots of Doctor Who. They had that context. Uh, and I wanted to know if it stands alone. So I'm really I'm fascinated to, to hear your take on it. What did you think of it? I thought it was all right. Like, it was okay to watch. I mean, my, my biggest problem with it is the fact that I feel like we're going to this renaissance of, of, of... Maybe renaissance is the wrong word, but we're going to this golden area of TV. There is such beautiful, well-written, well-directed, well-acted TV coming out of, I mean, the States now. I feel like it's been coming out of Canada at least for a while. And this 
just was like, ah, sure. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. And and I, I just feel like class is a really good example of why men should be kept out of the writing room, if I'm honest. Right, yeah. Um, because it was just a bit mediocre. And I just think that that comes from the fact that it was, you know, a white guy, I'm pretty sure it was a white guy, who wrote it. And he just made all these really boring decisions. Like you have a um, character who's gone undercover into this new world, who's a prince in the last world. He's white. He's got a pommy accent. He's a man. Um, and, you know, he's subjugated a woman, a white woman. You know, there's, there's, there's just, I mean, it just feels like you literally have anything. You can do anything you know there is this wide world of imagination out there and you know when you have a man in the writing room it just it always feels like there's less pressure on him to create something good and you know there's more precedent for for boring stuff I guess um and yeah so it just I don't know it just it's sort of it felt a little lackluster for the premise, I guess. Um, and that's, you know, that's the reason why I love Adventure Time is because, you know, obviously Pendleton Ward is a, is a um, white man, but he really goes to town on what the possibilities of a world could create, you know, in, with Adventure Time. Like the bad guys are really complex and, um, you know, the world is very diverse and very sort of kooky and unexpected often at times. And... I don't know. It just sort of felt like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll watch it. There's nothing better around at the moment. And do you feel like, so you're talking about Charlie, the main character. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you feel he's, do you feel he's the main character? I felt it was kind of more of an ensemble show. It was, yeah. Yeah. And do the, what about the other character choices? How do they sort of size up? I really liked the character of Ram. Um, I thought that he was complex and realistic in a really compelling way. Um, I quite liked the char- character of Quill. Um, she didn't feel uh, two-dimensional, which I guess is often uh, it, you run the risk of setting a character up like that to make her feel two-dimensional. Um, yeah. Uh, so I really liked that. I really liked them in particular. Um, those were kind of the standouts for me. I think. Yeah. So it's April and Tanya didn't really. They didn't really make much of an impression. I liked Tanya. April felt a bit tired as a trope. She felt tropey. Sure. Um, and I feel like there are just better examples of the awkward young white girl like Angus Angus Thongs and Snogging or something. I can't remember the name of the show. Oh, yeah. And Perfect Snogging. Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, I think that's, I'm not sure. I can't remember. But I remember watching that and being like, wow, okay, yeah, now we're getting into some really gritty, like relatable young girl um, narratives and, you know, that awkwardness at that that age. And I just don't think that April really, so I know she's a bit older um, than that that sort of storyline, but I just didn't, I felt like she just felt a bit, yeah, okay, sure, snore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. But also like, again, she's white and she becomes a monarch. You know, and she fights this this soldier, right? This king soldier of this very, you know, dangerous. And then she wins. I'm mm. like, yeah, you've got to, you've got to, you're asking me to suspend a lot of disbelief here, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I'll go with you, but I'm not happy about it. This doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, why didn't, why, you know, why can't Tanya have done it? Why can't that 
trope have been for Tanya, you know? Mm. And that would have been way more interesting and way more complex considering, you know, how strict her her mother was. Um, I don't know. No, that's fair. That's a fair comment. Like, you know, Charlie, he's gay, but I'm way more interested in the story around his boyfriend than that's I nice. am in him. Oh, my gosh. Like... The, the nuance of that is way more compelling to me than any of the story around him. Because, I mean, like, that, that whole troop, I think that it's interesting, the whole slave master trope and that, you know, rebellion, um, rebel or terrorist, I think that's interesting. I don't think it's really explored enough. Mm. And I tell you what, one thing that's really, really irked me, and it's a big criticism I have of the show, is the fact that they have no nuance. I mean, around the terrorists, rebel sort of trope, but they've got no nuance around uh, genocide um, and the whole idea of ethics is very superficial when you consider like, you know, I can't do that. It's genocide. Oh, but I'll get these other people to do it for me and therefore I'm not complicit. It's not, it's not genocide. It's not on my hands. Mm. And also this idea of when you commit, com- commit violence against a person or commit genocide, as they say it, you set up this bad guy and he's quintessentially bad. And, you know, the, the moral quandary around committing genocide against this badness is a really troubled one, I think, for me. Like, you, you can't... What's the phrase that they keep saying? Oh, it makes, me, it makes us as bad as them. Mm. And that's really interesting for me because that's um, a, a lot of the rhetoric that's coming out with regards to combating or, like, punching Nazis, for instance. Mm. And equating punching a journalist to punching a Nazi is this really, I mean, philosophically just poor argument because it means it essentially means there's no good in the world there's no such thing as good or evil um and i don't know that i see that a lot around coming from the alt-right basically and i don't think that you know class created that (laughs) but i think that the bbc has a responsibility especially if they're um if they're producing this for young adults to question that rhetoric and not just repeat it because A, it's tired and B, it's really troubling. It's just really, really troubling to to pose that as like a legitimate ethical question. It's not a legitimate ethical question. Mm. The ethics is really in where you choose the line and what, you know, what lines you choose. But I mean, I feel like the show isn't mindful of that at all. It doesn't it doesn't traverse those lines at all. It's It's just too simple. That's interesting. I think that's an a, an approach to ethics that it has inherited from the modern version of the parent program mm. because Doctor Who often claims that it's going to talk about ethics in various ways and sometimes even does, but, yeah, you know, like not in a deep way. And I mm. guess, you know, Doctor Who has a bit of an excuse in that it is it is a family show, it is meant to be watched by young children and, and perhaps nuanced ethics are not going to make sense to smaller, you know, younger viewers. But, you know, class is aimed at a young adult sort of uh, teen and up audience mm. and they're probably, you know, if, if written in the right way, they probably could handle that kind of thing. But, yeah, I agree. Like watching, as much as I enjoyed the show, every time they talked about using the box, you know, I'm like, look, do it or don't do it, mate. Like, <laughs> come on, what, what's your, you know. Um, and Quill wanting to do it and Charlie not doing it. Yeah, it seemed kind of... Uh, because they, they do present the Shadowkin as like this just sort of implacable force of evil who yeah. just kill things and they don't, you know, they don't, they're kind of, yeah, they're just a destructive force. Mm. And then you have like the more elemental kind of destructive force in the petal creatures. Mm. Um, See, now those I found really interesting. Yeah. I really liked them. Um, I didn't, I, 
I find that whole every episode there's a threat to the earth. I find it very tired and that's sort of what makes the show a little bit mediocre for me is that that setup, that structure for a show is a little bit snore. Um, I think that this television in particular is just this beautiful medium in which you can really draw something out and explore characters and situations in a way you can't do with movies, you can't do with plays because there's not that time and that investment from people. It's something that all the spin-offs do have is that they all feel a bit like that adventure of the week format. Mm. Yeah, like in class, yeah, they have, they've chosen to really run with that structure. And interesting particularly because they only had eight episodes mm. and... There's only really one like bottle episode where they concentrate on the characters themselves, which mm. is the detention episode, mm. and, which I really liked. I liked actually. that one as well, yeah. Yeah, that's probably my favourite episode because it, it really does. It gets into all of their heads and it, it sort of shows consequences for the things that had happened and the things that had, had gone on between the characters up until that point. Mm. And, and that felt like I think one of the things you're saying about the characters and how they don't feel like complex, nuanced teenage characters mm. I think that's largely true but in that episode I think it was where you saw the potential of where it could have mm. gone particularly mm-hmm. for Tanya who you very rarely get to see that much mm. of what she's doing and then her whole development in that episode is you don't take me seriously because I'm younger than you mm. and you're like well that's true um, what else you got <laughs> like uh, and, and you know you get a bit of other stuff from her in that episode see I feel like that could have been built up in the previous episodes, I think that there could have been moments where they dismiss her and moments mm. where, you know, this happens and that explosiveness at the end where she's like, no, actually, you need to take me seriously. Actually, like, I'm a person would have been so much more impactful, mm. especially because she's black and she's a girl and she's young. You know, I, I, I don't know. There's just a lot. There's, there's just so much room where it could have been done better. And I, I attribute that to his maleness and his whiteness the writer's maleness and whiteness and that's why I think that you know he shouldn't have he shouldn't have written this show this show's not for him and it's a I mean I think the reason they got him in is he's uh, his name's Patrick Ness he's he's a YA author um, mm-hmm. and so they're like oh you write popular YA books come and write this show for us um, and it it's an interesting, I mean, like, I don't think he's written any TV before, which mm. is another sort of interesting mm. kind of thing going into a TV show. Um, but is, I, uh, I mean, how does it stack up? And what, what other kind of modern YA shows do you feel like it's trying to get in on the space of? And, and what other shows trying to do it right, do you think, that could teach class a thing or two? if Or could have, if it was going to continue. It's already been cancelled, sadly. Well, I mean, I mentioned Adventure Time. I mentioned, uh, well, I should mention Steven Universe. Um, because I think those two are very interesting in different ways. I think that they're quite different shows, even though on the surface it feels like they are very close together. I think that uh, Adventure Time is very upfront with its weirdness and uh, almost dreamlike, whereas Steven Universe is probably what I would say class could take some lessons from. Just because Steven Universe presents these quite you know, non-normative relationship structures and in a world and it just sort of takes them for granted. The fact that Greg's not in the house, uh, Stephen's father, uh, and that he doesn't doesn't really seem like he invests um, financially, um, but he's always emotionally there for Stephen. Like he's a very interesting, like joyful recla- reclamation of the of uh, like um, the loser dad trope. Mm. And I think it's really counterclassist to present that as like a no. This is just what works for them. You know, don't you can't you can't really judge that situation. There's no room to judge Greg for not 
for, for being the dad that he is to Stephen because that's just the situation that works for them. And the same with Stephen and, you know, Pearl and, and um, Garnet and Amethyst is that they just have really good relationships and it's just a non-normative uh, family set up. And I think that that's really compelling and that that's laid into this greater landscape of, of the narrative is really interesting. It's more balanced than the fusion of, I guess... Um, sci-fi or or fantasy um i'm not quite sure where you would put um stephen universe in on that scale of things but yeah it's more balanced between um uh, real world implications and um these sort of out, outlandish or like strange uh eventuations that happen in it mm. um it's not about we are being evaded i mean that's the other thing is that that constant feeling of invasion is really not interrogated at all mm. and very important for Britain right now. Yeah, and it's interestingly because that's, I mean, that's always been, it's a massive trope of Doctor Who. That that's, mm. that that's always the nature of the threat is that aliens have come to Earth and they're going to do something bad to us. Mm. Although they, and, but the parent show, interestingly, has done different stuff with that. I mean, in the 50th anniversary special, it's revealed that there's all these Zygons coming to Earth and Zygons are shapeshifters and they can disguise themselves as humans. Mm. Um, he just makes sort of representatives of both sides sit down and go, no, you're going to figure this out mm. so that Zygons can just live here because mm. they've got nowhere else to go. Mm. Their home's been destroyed. Mm. And that happens. And then later on, there's a consequence episode where some of the Zygons, because they are sort of, their culture is quite warlike and some of them are like, we want to have a war. We should not be like living in hiding. And he has to try and defuse that situation. And that's, when you think about it, like that's quite a nuanced discussion. That is interesting. Right? Yeah. That's really interesting. And he, and yeah, in class, I mean, I think one of the things I like about class is that it isn't always a threat to the whole world, mm. which I think is something that Doctor Who has stopped doing um, as much as it used to. I really like those episodes where the, the stakes are smaller but immediate and mm. they it makes you feel like, well, if these six people die, that is still awful, mm. right? And class does that sometimes. I mean, like the, the second episode with the, um, the weird dragon creature and yeah, the tattoo same. thing. Yeah. Like that that was not a threat to the whole world. And the there's um there's another one that's like that. Um but there's really only a couple, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's basically that one and the and the, the detention episode. Mm. I mean every other one, you're right, it's like things coming in from the void to mm-hmm. destroy the whole place. Yeah. And then there's these like six uh or five teenagers who mm-hmm. are supposed to deal with it, um, which is not very responsible of the doctor to set up that situation. Uh, yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird, isn't it? Is it? How do you think? I mean, I know, I know you're not a fan of of Buffy the mm, Vampire Slayer. Mm. It's not your thing, but that, I think this show is trying to emulate that sort of style of mm. mixing real world stuff with the, the outlandish, the supernatural, the science fictiony. Where? How do you think it? I mean, you, you think it does a worse job of that than Steven Universe? What is it? Where does it get that balance wrong? I think that. Um, it's not reaching. It's playing it too safe. It's going for the structures and the setups and the characters that are already established. And it's not interested in things that push those boundaries. That's the sort of thing that I find compelling. And that's the sort of thing that television is kind of going for now. And that's why television is getting interesting because it's not Hollywood just reproducing the same thing and same thing, same thing. Um, And I feel like, yeah, I think it just played it too safe, which is why it makes it like, yeah, sure, fine. Like, you know, it's okay to watch. 
pretty compelling. Um, there's stuff in it that's worth watching and stuff in it that I find interesting. But like I watch a lot of television mm. and I just would not, like I would have watched a one or two episodes of this and been like, eh. Yeah. I appreciate you watching all of them. For, I mean, it was fine. Talk yeah, about yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, it did it. Fine. Yeah. What, what were the best things about it? Let's talk about the things that you thought worked. I think that the tension between Quill and Charlie was palpable and I think that that was really relatable. Um, I think that they could have made, made it... I think that a lot, of, a lot of times when it comes to young adults' um, media, uh, people tend to uh, make it too simplistic. They tend to underestimate the capacity for young adults uh, to understand these situations and children, to be honest, children's media in general. Um, and so I think that, you know, that was good and clever and that there's something really uh, compelling and interesting in that interplay between those two relationships, that dependence, that um, almost like empathy, like they break into empathy uh, at times and they break into like moments where that... Um, those dual motions of like utter hatred and utter like love, mm. um, you know, because there is a sort of um, almost a mothership sort of of Quill to Charlie, um, and also like the fact that her, you know, you you eat your mother in you know after you bur- you're born yeah. when you're a Quill. Like I find that kind of interesting. How tense that is. Mm. Um, yeah, I liked that. I liked the fact that Tanya does have different rules as a kid and that that's sort of brought up. I wish that they'd explored that more because I find that really interesting. I thought that basically all of Rem's character and how much loss he goes through and I guess, you know, that deconstruction of like the blokey soccer player, um, which is the equivalent, I guess, of, of Friday Night Lights and yeah. the blokey, uh, like the culture of, of football, American football over there. Yeah. I'm really interested in that because I think it's good for breaking down like tropes around toxic masculinity and the fact that, you know, he loves April, but April April doesn't love her back, uh, love him back, sorry. I think that there are definitely reasons that this is good to watch, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I liked that dynamic between Ram and April because it felt, that was one of the moments I felt it really did touch on a real sort of teenage experience mm. because, you know, we watch this and we're like, You've known Nick. You've been hanging out for like what, like a few weeks, and you've been through some serious stuff. You can't love each other, but that's how it feels when you're a teenager. Mm. And that sort of imbalance in that relationship, and then having it brought out by that third party and heightened the tension and, and the argument over it. Yeah, I really, I really liked that. But he does go through some like what a horrendous time. You know, they really put him through the ringer. But, yeah, but I liked that. They didn't just do that and then it was kind of over, you mm. know? Like mm-hmm. he sees his girlfriend like horribly murdered in the first episode and he, he's he's still haunted by that like mm. for the rest of the series. And you're like, well, of course he is. Like he's suffering PTSD basically. Yeah, I think that honesty around PTSD and trauma is, is compelling. Yeah. Do I mean, what is, I'm trying to think, you know, what happens to April. I mean, she has personal trauma in that she's, you know, almost killed and mm. ends up sharing her heart with the shadow king, mm. the, you know, Korokinus, the, the leader of the shadow kin. Mm. And that's kind of, that's a weird supernatural kind of slightly metaphorical trauma. And then mm. like you sharing your heart with someone that you don't like. And it's like, well, that's, what is that? I was never quite, I felt like that was meant to mean something and I wasn't quite sure what it was meant to mean. That's interesting. Um, but it, But also, you know, that's her, her trauma and that she hides away and doesn't 
show to anyone else and which really feeds into that the trope of of her character that you were talking about where mm. she's the sort of wet one the weak the weak one mm. and that sort of just heightens that mm. already existing kind of summary of her character i guess but tanya also goes through some serious trauma but it happens much later in the season mm. and so it doesn't really get explored Nope. Um, she just gets really angry <laughs> in that last episode. Is like, no, we gotta kill everyone. Mm. Um, and when it all comes to a head, mm. um, so she just sort of lets it all out mm. immediately, mm-hmm. which is is not a very deep expression. But I guess you know she's younger, and um, I just don't, yeah, I don't know how that stacks up. I would also like to point out the fact that that April's mum is in a wheelchair is presented as this massive tragedy. And that's like, no, no, mate, no, that's not not okay. That's not an okay narrative. Sorry, we're in 2017. You need to move past this. Yeah, it's it's like, it was what you were saying before, you know, in Steven Universe, they present things as just normal. Yeah. Uh, And in class, you know, there's a bit of of hoo-ha about it, you know. I mean, I think it's interesting. This is something, again, that the parent program is now doing much better with the Mm. introduction of Bill, who's the new companion character, Mm. who is just, she's just an out lesbian. Mm. And there's nothing presented as weird about that. Mm. And yeah, it's something that in class, there's some things that are presented as quite normal and okay. And Mm. then there's other things where it's like, yeah, like she's in a wheelchair and like, oh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. Yeah, like he almost killed them. But what they're hung up about is the fact that she's now in a wheelchair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I found the relationship with her dad, it was really (laughs) weird. I I was like, I mean, I had, uh, that pushed some personal buttons for me. Me too. Um, But I was like, come on guys, like don't. No, they just call it cops. Like mm. he can't just show up out of nowhere. Now he's out of prison. You know, mm. like that's not how that is allowed to work. Mm. Um, and uh, and I did like that it was kind of nuanced in that he was a little bit of sympathetic character. And I thought in some ways that's good because mm. often it's easy to paint because that is a complex situation, it you is. know. But, it, but at the same time, um, I felt, that, yeah, they didn't really have enough space to explore that. That's something that maybe needed a couple of episodes to really mm. do justice to. And yeah, the whole wheelchair thing was a bit like, come on. Yeah. He's like, well, look, I've magically healed you. You can walk again. It's like, that's not... I know, this is not a narrative that we need yeah. right now. She had a few good lines around that where she's like, that's not, I don't need that. That's fine. Mm, mm. But yeah, you're, you're right. It was still, yeah, presented as a way bigger deal than is necessary. Mm. I just think that they needed something to point to for the wider audience to like nail home how bad this thing was because like threatening their lives wasn't enough. Mm. And that's sort of why it happened. But I mean, again, this is just like, again, testament to why this guy shouldn't have written the show. He shouldn't have been in charge of it. And why we need to give minorities the rights to their own representations because, you know, we keep it up. You know, those of us who are white or able-bodied or whatever. Yeah, it's and I think... Um from memory, yeah, Patrick Ness, he wrote the whole show, mm. uh, which makes sense because he's, you know, he's, he's it's eight episodes. Um, why wouldn't you write the whole thing yourself? Um, but if there'd been a room with other people in it, maybe those, some of those decisions would have been made differently. I think so. And, and it's hard to know what has caused the change in Doctor Who, particularly this season, mm. but there are more women writing it now. Uh, when I say more, there's two. And uh, which is better than zero, but <laughs> not great. Um, yeah, it was. Um, we we were talking about Sarah Jane Adventures last episode, and mm-hmm. one of the things that was going to happen in the last season of that show that 
sadly didn't make it because the star of the show died. Mm. So they stopped production. But that her adoptive son, um, and they do a really good job of presenting an adoptive relationship as being every bit as important and, and normal as others. Mm. Um, but that they were going to reveal that he had a boyfriend and they were mm. going to really make be very careful around not making that a big deal mm. and everyone just being going, oh, yeah, great. Mm. Um, and so it was just part of the background. And that was a kid's show, you know, that was aimed at a young, much younger audience than, say, class. Um, and then in class, you know, you've got Charlie and Matthias and then you've got this whole, like, I, I understand it, it's an important narrative to tell, the whole, you know, he's being kicked out by very conservative, old-fashioned mm. um, parents. Um, and that does still happen, of course, but it's like, can we, is that what we need? Is that what we want? I don't know. I think that, the, like, especially in the character of Charlie, there's just so much opportunity lost um, just because they wanted to code him traditionally, um, like a traditional monarch Im- yeah. image. Yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Where we've got to, it's like shorthand. It's like almost like they've got, well, we've only got eight episodes. Mm. So if we want them to, if we want to sell this guy as, as a prior monarch of a whole world, well, we've just got to make him like a monarch that you might see in the real world. Like he's got to be a bit like Prince William. Mm. And But see, I think I think that's even frustrating because like it's not like, you know, Africa does has monarchs, you know? There mm. are monarchs in New Zealand, Maori monarchs, like... I get that it's a shorthand, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and you never really. I mean, they don't flesh out the culture of um, of the quill and the um, and the other uh, Rodians. They're called Rodians because yeah. they're from Rodia. Yeah, you know, they they don't flesh out their culture very much. I mean, I do like that moment in the first episode mm. where April's like, "So, do you look like humans then, or are you like just disguised?" And there's like that shot of them with it, <laughs> yeah. presumably, and you're not sure if that's what they really look like or if that's what April's imagining they might look like and they yeah. look at each other and they're like, no, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. And then when, when he's telling the story and it's a flashback, you're imagining everyone looking like he looks now to the point where they're all wearing like school uniforms and it's mm. a bit weird. Um, but it's just, you never really find out that much about that society, but it does, it is presented very much as it's a absolute monarchy, feudal society mm. in the manner of very enlightened and technologically advanced and, you know, they're monarchs in the same way that we have a queen in England. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that's not super interesting, mm-hmm. is it? Like, yeah. I mean, and the one thing you find out about this society is that they think slavery is okay if it's punishment for mm-hmm. killing people. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not that nuanced about it. I did find it interesting when that Charlie was so single-minded about no having the thing in Quill's head is the right thing to do. This is not slavery. And how when, you know, Tanya's like, no, mate. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. It's slavery. Like, I found that pushback really interesting that he was so fastidious. Like, no, no, you don't understand. Like the the cultural relativism that goes on in that that space and, and how much people do challenge him is, I found that, I found that interesting. Mm, yeah. I wish there'd been a bit more of it. Maybe it would have been hackneyed if there'd been more of it, but mm. yeah. It's kind of interesting that they pushed that to a resolution by the end mm, of the, mm-hmm. the first of what they'd hoped would be more than one season uh, where she gets it out of her head in that second last episode and mm. then has free will in the last episode and doesn't just go and shoot him in the head, you know. Mm. Um, but then they've also got, I mean, that, that's that nice tension you were talking about before between them is that, that familial bond that really just comes from we're the only two people left from our whole planet. Like we're, we come from opposing cultures. We're not the same species, but we shared a planet and we hated each other, but now there's nobody else left. And look, one thing we haven't talked about much 
um, are the parents on the show. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I found that really interesting. We talked about this in the live show that, that there's kind of a varied representation of, of parent relationships in the show. Whereas in, in class, pretty much everybody's like single parent family for one reason or another. And it's usually not a great reason. Mm. Like as in, it's not a happy reason. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not like some people have just decided they've got irreconcilable differences and split up. It's like, no, like April's dad nearly killed them all mm-hmm. in a car mm-hmm. accident. Uh, you know, uh, Tanya's dad died. Mm. Ram's parents ostensibly together, although I don't think you ever meet his mum, do I you? I, I'm tr- I was trying to think about that before. It's like, oh, yeah, he's got a good relationship with his parents or his dad. He's got yeah. a decent relationship with I think she's mentioned. She is. I think she's, she's around. She's just not featured. Yeah. And then you've got Matthias, who's like parents throw him out of the house. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that that play was good. I think that because it really makes the show about the kids. You know, it's not about the parents. The parents are just a factor in what has created the kids. Mm. And I think, um, you know, Rami's dad being like loving and supportive and um, him having that rapport with his dad about his leg... Um, and sort of opening up to his dad, I think that you know that's a that's a good characterization of what how 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 he's become this person and how he's become this um, sort of like nice like even though there's this trope around him or people sort of interpret him as this um, player, I guess like gross boy. Um, that actually you know he's got a good family and and they're nice and you know that that Sikhism plays a part in who he is. Mm. Um, I found that really compelling and, um, you know, that relationship with his dad. So, yeah, I I think that how they played that was really clever and quite good. But that being said, I would like to have seen the relationship between Tanya and her mum explored a little bit more in terms of her dad's death as well even though that's kind of nice because, I mean, that again, that's a platform for Rami and um, Tanya to sort of talk about death and the death of the parent and um, yeah I liked I liked that yeah and it feels it does feel a bit rushed though as well mm. like you never get a really good sense of what Tanya's home life is really like I mean they sort of shorthand it with a few her mum's like a bit overprotective and um, you know tells her not to talk to strange boys or spend time with people mm. um, and you know she's got these two older brothers mm. You don't really see much of them either until, you know, right late in the piece where they mm. turn up and bad things happen to them or there's memories of them with her dad. And then that episode where the weird creature like is recreating everybody's mm. lost mm-hmm. parents or loved ones mm-hmm. um, is quite like that's, that's, that's a bit full on. I found that really interesting. I liked that episode. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot going on there that I thought, like that of the monsters. That's probably one of my favorites. That and the petals, mm. um, just because there was uh, a lot of nuance to that monster, especially when Tanya was talking to the, the, you know, the version of her dad, and he kept on like blinking his eyes and the sound and the sound of him licking his lips, as like little nods. And I think that that's kind of interesting because you know, growing up as a girl, you're taught to doubt your intuition, and I think that those. Uh, little nods um, being sort of brought to the fore as uh, like, you know, obviously we know what's going on, but being brought to the fore for her is like, no, trust your intuition. It's there for a reason. Notice the little things. Mm. And I think that's quite a powerful message that I don't think they intended, Um, but but it's there. And I think that that's really good. Um, And I like that whole, you know, as well with Quill. Mm. Like, you know, how dare they disrespect my sister by making her nice. Um, Yeah. 
uh, even though that's a one-liner, it just sort of shows that she, yeah, she sort of is not fooled. You can't fool me. You can't fool the woman here, mm. um, which I really, I, I really liked that. Yeah. Did you? I, how much did you like the character of Quill? Because I, 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 like a lot of people, I kind of latched onto her a little bit, and I thought she was awesome. But. Yeah, I'm a bit of a sucker for like a an arrogant woman. Yeah, yeah, and like an arrogant, likable woman. Yeah, not an arrogant, oh my god, woman. You know, like, mm. and so she was well, very, very well written. I think, um, and yeah, I'm I'm a big fan because she sort of was nicely nuanced in a way that I don't think April was. Mm. Um, I think that she's quintessentially the opposite of April, but April lacked that depth that she had. April could have been a really great character, um, but she needed more unlikability to her. Yeah, there needed to be something about her that we were like, oh, like you're not just this really nice girl who everybody ignores. Mm. And, it, then, and everything they added to April's character did seem to just reinforce that same thing. Like, oh, you play the violin. Mm. Um, but that's kind of, that's not cool, mm. uh, even though it's a great talent. So that's another thing that's nice about you, but everybody ignores. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, that came in sort of slightly late in, later in the show and, mm. and you're like, oh, you were. Um, but yeah, but Quill is, I think you're right, she's arrogant, but likable mm. because everything she's arrogant about, like every time she goes, oh, like it's usually something that the audience is also going, oh, <laughs> what is with these kids about? And, and we're just like, yes. Yeah. And I think she was a real sort of adult audience identification character mm. for that reason. But yeah, I, I, I thought she was great. Mm. Uh, and, and just little things like when she meets the, that inspector and starts making out with him and then he turns out to be a robot and she's like, I made out with a robot. And you're so like, enjoyable. <laughs> it was so good, you know. It was really awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, well, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is the show is pretty spectacularly gory mm. uh, for a show of its nature. Mm. Like it's not American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? Like, Because it was much gorier than, for the most part than, say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except maybe in... Buffy's later seasons, I suppose. Mm. There's a few gory things like Warren getting all his skin flayed off, although you don't see much of that. But there's a lot of people getting killed on screen or um, you see a lot of blood, Mm. which is a rule they have in Doctor Who as a family program is generally people can die, but you're not allowed to see any blood. Like it's not allowed to feel... Like people can die and it can be tragic, but it's not supposed to look violent, Mm. which is why it's always lasers and... If people are shot, there's no, you know, horrible blood wounds. But, mm-hmm. you know, Ren gets his leg cut off. His girlfriend get gets her throat slashed. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad gets, like, torn into bits from memory, like it's... Or stabbed through he the heart. He gets stabbed through the heart, yeah. That's right, yeah. And um, and the dragon, like, eats people mm-hmm. and there's bits everywhere. It's, it's a gory show. I think you've got to remember that uh, in 1950, whenever American Psycho was made... The that image when she gets stabbed in the shower and the blood swelling the drain was considered very gory. Like this was the height of like it was considered obscene, right? Mm. And I think that you know Buffy was made in the nineties and probably was gory for that point in time. And I think that we've been slowly progressing, I guess, up this ladder of gore and what we feel comfortable with. Mm. And I think that there's this argument out there of like, oh no, you can't show that but you're asking these people to suspend, like you're asking people to believe in giant dragons, like you can suspend disbelief. You can be invested in the characters and not affronted by the gore because it's not real and you know it's not real. You know, but when I see 
you know, someone news footage, I think, is more gory and more upsetting than than this. That's true. Yeah. And those those two aren't related for me at all, because mm. one is just not real, and the other is just too real. Like, wow, okay, yeah, no, this is really, really happening. This is really a thing, mm. um, and I can you know, segment the two off. And I think that again, this sort of um, uh, nannying of um, kids uh, doesn't give them enough credit to to understand the difference and to also make just make choices about that. Mm. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure this is going to be too gory for me, um, so I'm not going to watch it. Or, yeah, no, I'm going to be fine with this. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, I think uh, it wasn't too gory for me because I'm quite squeamish when it comes to horror films, mm. um, but. Uh, but not real, like not like you know, footage of like operations and stuff. Oddly mm, enough, mm, like that doesn't mm. bother me. But because um, I know those people probably didn't die. Mm. Uh, but it's, I, I guess, m- more for me. I was surprised because I don't know what that standard is, mm. particularly for a show like this pitched at the audience that it's pitched at. And I wondered because I thought the sex in the show, by contrast, mm. was handled pretty well mm. most of the time. I mean, there wasn't a lot of it. There was a bit, but it seemed quite. Like, you know, when Mateus and um, Charlie finally get together, you're like, oh, it's quite nice, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. And when um, April and Ram get together, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's quite respectful and nice. Mm-hmm. Like, you clearly know what's going on. They don't feel like they need to show you everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I just because I haven't seen a lot of, I guess, young adult shows like what because what else is out there in this space like in, in for this kind of age group live action kind of show I mean what is it up against are we talking about stuff like I don't know like supernatural shows like um what's that vampire one vampire diaries or yeah stuff like that is that is that where class sits I guess so I mean, you look at something like The 100 mm. and I'm oh, pretty sure I, I definitely I think the gore is on more than um, class, mm-hmm. but I think that's an American British thing. Um, I can't quite remember if the sex was more or less in that show and didn't get hugely far through. I think I got one or two seasons in. Um, yeah, so I think that it's about on par and I think that it's really about, I mean, there's a cultural thing mm. um, about, I guess, British people being a little bit more stiff upper lip about that sort of stuff. Sure. One thing that I hadn't thought of at the time or hadn't looked for is that I'm pretty sure there was decent parity between how much skin or, or sex was shown between two men as opposed to a man and a woman. Because mm. I usually, the gay stuff is like, oh, no, we're only allowed like half a second and it's going to be just on their faces kissing. We're not allowed to show their bodies or being closeness in that sort of way. And then, you know, for men and women, it's the same. I mean, for men and women, it's... it's um, like quite can it can be quite explicit. Yeah. Like it's almost as though you know people think gay or lesbian sex is like more explicit than heterosex. So I didn't flag that. So I assume that it's probably about the same, which I think is yeah, good. F- from memory, like there's only two or three sort of real sex scenes in the show, mm. and the other one is Quill and the guy that she gets right. with in that near the end episode. Yeah, right. And that's that's quite subtle because it's kind of meant to be a bit spur of the moment, so mm. you don't see as much of that. Um, and it's also meant to be quite a surprise mm. <laughs> when she turns up pregnant at the end. And the yeah. show does end with quite a few things like dangling, <laughs> like a lot, like more than you would expect. Mm. Uh, they're clearly hoping for a second season, which they did not get. Mm. Uh, and so it was quite ballsy. I don't know how sure they were that they were going to get a second season, but it felt quite ballsy to me or quite, quite you know, out there 
to go, well, we're going to end with she's pregnant and this other thing happened mm. and also this other thing and mm. now you know this and uh, and here's this secret conspiracy that's been going on behind the scenes. Mm. I mean, what did you think of the, that sort of ongoing plot thread with the um, with that? I'm kind of, I found it interesting that, you know, Quill gets pregnant and that's actually quite a conundrum for her because she's sort of just gotten free and now maybe she's going to birth these things that are going to eat her, you know? And like, I found that, I was like, oh, okay. Like that's, I'm interested in that because that's like a, a cultural thing that, um, a cultural quandary, I guess, mm. that we don't often get to see, you know, conversations around really difficult stuff like, you know, infanticide or what have you is stuff that's generally sort of lent away from. But I think that when you have this surreal, obviously, platform, you can explore it in a little bit more detail. So yeah, I found that interesting and I'm kind of sad that I don't get to see where it would turn out, though I'm sure because it wasn't Quill, Quill, it was Quill and Shapeshifter, that the babies won't eat her. You'd hope not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that would be the end of her character and I think that that would have been a poor move on the writer's team. Yeah. So, like, I'm not too threatened by that. I think that um, it's not like Carnival where I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. why? Yeah. No, or Firefly where I'm like, no. I'm happy where it is. They yeah. took a punt to try and, you know, go for a reach for a second season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'm not I'm not I don't feel unresolved around it. You watching it like without the context of modern Doctor Who, mm. was there anything in it where you were like, who like what's this? What's going on? Like obviously I think that so I'm no I know about the statue people and them being like everybody flipping their lids about the statue people at the end. And so I'm like, oh okay, there's a there's a reference there that I'm not getting, but there's enough there that I understand what's happening and that this ties into a into a bigger thing, but I kind of like the intrigue of that. I kind of like the mystery of, um, you know, oh, there's something else going here, linking back into this great web of uh, knowledge, a web of a of a of a of a world that I just don't have access to. Um, yeah, I I dug that. I don't think that it diminished the show. I think it probably made it more interesting. Um, and more intriguing and more mysterious. Do you have any final thoughts about class? I mean, the, the main thought that I just have is, you know, no more white men in the writing room, please. <laughs> Certainly not on their own. Certainly not on their own, yeah. but, like, it's time, you know. Thank you so much for talking to us <laughs> Thanks. about class. Uh, if people want to find more out about you, Fury, where mm -hmm. should they look? Probably on my website, furywrites.com put most of my stuff up there. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Splendid Chaps. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Chaps, Dr. Joymi Baker, George Ivanoff and Fury. Your hosts were Ben McKenzie, John Richards and me, Petra Elliott. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. Find out more about Splendid Chaps Productions, including the original time travel comedy Night Terrace at SplendidChaps.com or follow us as Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. There's more Splendid Chaps spin-off discussion coming up in our fourth and final episode where we'll answer the audience's questions about all the spin-offs we've already discussed, possibly bring up a few more and end on a song. Until then... Thank you. It's good. Keep warm.
Hey, Splendid Chaps Productions has a new podcast. It's a book club where we discuss every book written by Terry Pratchett. It's called Pratchett, and you can check it out at prattchatpodcast.com.